Blog Talk Radio. How many of you know who Bill Cosby is? And we, who doesn't know who Bill Cosby is? That would be the better question to ask. I'm, uh, <laughs> Gabriel doesn't know who Bill Cosby is, huh? Uh, he'll learn someday. As a raconteur, I'm sure that uh, John Armstrong knows who Bill Cosby is because he's one of the famous storytellers as well as comedians in our country. An accomplished actor, both in uh, the big screen and on television. And of recent years has been a voice for uh, a return to some of the basic values that make families and our nation strong. And I've appreciated uh, a lot of what he's had to say. Used to love his cartoon, the cartoons that were based on characters uh, that Fat Albert, hey, hey, hey. You know, we've all listened to Fat Albert. I uh, used to listen, I love to listen to his stories about uh, him showing up to school and he always sat behind Fat Albert at school and one day Fat Albert didn't show up and he said, and I didn't know where to sit. And so that was just kind of the old down-home, simple very clean humor that Bill Cosby was famous for. He used to do comedic albums, and I remember years ago, and he caught a lot of flack for doing the, uh, the Noah uh, story, you know, about uh, Noah working in his, his uh, carpenter shop and then God speaking, and uh, he told the whole story about the flood. And a lot of the conservative fundamental evangelicals got on their high horses and berated him for that, said he was sacrilegious, and, and uh, I thought that was sort of unfair. I thought it was unfair at the time. And, but uh, one of the things that he did, one of the routines he did was uh, he did a story one time about, holly, or about uh, high-paid, high-profile professional athletes being asked to do product endorsements. And he was just poking at how silly and uh, that whole thing was. And he created this artificial scenario in which this football player or this football coach is trying to, to uh, coach a team that really wasn't known as scholar-athletes. I'll give you a little background on that. Now, uh, Bill, Bill Cosby was an athlete. He grew up, he, I can't remember if he played for Temple or Hofstra, but he played for one of the, one of the elite schools back east and, and uh, he told some wonderful stories about some of his football experiences but he was telling this story and this football coach apparently had uh, had just uh, gone through a very horrible defeat on the field of play so he decided that it was time for him to go back and revisit the fundamentals so he goes in and gets his team called together and he holds up a ball and he says, this is a football. Well, every now and then I think it's good for God's people to be reminded of the fundamentals. Uh, we, listen, we're, we're 2,000 years into the process of developing theology. I belong to the Society for Biblical Literature and the Evangelical Theological Society. 
And I get these learned journals about highly nuanced theological um, topics. And every once in a while, I'll pick one up and I'll read through it. And it's not that I don't understand what's being said, but I just sit there and I shake my head and think, how, how preoccupied can we be with all this minutiae? And in the process of trying to nuance some of these sensitive theological issues, sometimes I think some, somebody, some theologian needs to walk into the room and say, this is a football. This is the Bible. This is the gospel. And that's sometimes, I think, what we need to hear. In Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 9, there's a ser series of narratives here. And this one has to do with the tax collector. Sometimes we know him as Levi. Here he's called Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. Now, just almost in passing, you know, sometimes some of the most profound things in scriptures are almost stated as just a passing note. And it says, so he arose and followed him. Well, when you stop and think about it, you know, does that really merit any more of a notification than just that? Well, so, I mean, Jesus calls and says, follow me. And so, so he followed him. And as I was pointing out a while ago, it's just the normal, natural thing for people who love God to be faithful to God's house. You know, it, ought, it, just, it, it should just be a passing remark. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold many tax collectors and sinners. I always thought they were the same thing. <laughs> and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, of course there's always those around who are trying to find fault, nitpick. They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It was kind of one of those <gasps> moments. Did you see what he or she did? Did you hear what came out of the pastor's mouth? <gasps> they were just mortified. Well, you know, Jesus would have a, a little confrontation with them, and it's recorded later in this book in which essentially was, you really ought to go home and look in the mirror. You know, but they were just mortified, and so they asked the question. When Jesus heard that, and he, they weren't speaking to him, but when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is basic, fundamental Christianity. And I'm going to present what I would call a topical sermon today. And the topic is, 
why we need, quotation marks, underline it, highlight it, put an asterisk by it, put it in bold font, why we need Jesus. Because with the cavalier, lackadaisical, uh, fits and starts and stops that we have in, in, the, in, the ch in church life, I think we've lost sight of the fact that we need Jesus. Now, we might want to pat ourselves on the back for being here this morning and a few of the faithful that are here this morning, but I want you to know the folks that are not here don't need Jesus any more than we do. You need Christ. I need Christ. I'm going to need Him tomorrow. I'm going to need Him throughout the day. And no matter where you go to work tomorrow, you need Christ. I don't care who you're with tomorrow, you're going to need Christ. You need Jesus. Now this statement he makes in verse 12, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, is a metaphorical statement. He's using physical illness to illustrate or put the spotlight on spiritual illness. Now this is not, I mean, you know, I know these are the words of Jesus, but really he was probably borrowing uh, uh, an adage, if you will, that had been around for some time. In fact, if you'll read the writings of Plutarch, he applies this uh, statement to uh, Pausanias, the Spartan king. Uh, I can't even remember his name, but one of the famous Greek philosophers used a very, very similar sounding expression. So Jesus borrows this and gives it new meaning because he's applying it to spiritual matters. And he says, but those who are sick, those, that's why I was with the sinners. That's why I was with the tax collectors. They were sick. And everybody, everybody, I want to emphasize this, everybody needs Christ. Now why do we need him? I want to give you just a few points, and, and then we'll be out of here. First of all, we need Jesus because, frankly, we need somebody to pray for us. I sent a text message the other day to Corey Thompson when he was in the hospital, and his wife was about to deliver a child. And, and uh, so I sent him a text message and said we were, that, that Thelma and I were praying for him. He texts back says, it gives me great comfort to know that Thelma is praying for me. <laughs> I pray for you. And I know many of you pray for me. I know that. And I'm consoled by that. But what gives me great consolation is I know my Lord and Savior is praying for me. He lives to make intercession. The Bible says we're all sinners. Um, and, and so we all have great need. But I, I know that the Heavenly Father is sort of standing in for me before God the Father, and He's, he's praying for Richard. He's praying for that pastor down there in Duncanville, Texas, who's not doing everything he ought to do, not doing everything he can do, not always doing the right thing, not always doing it well. But God, my Father, would you bless Richard? 
Pour out the richest blessings of heaven on him. And Lord, make up where he falls short. For Lord, we know, we need, the Lord knows that all Christians, every one of us that claim the name of Jesus, need the help that heaven can provide. And one of the reasons you need Jesus today is you need somebody that will pray for you. Secondly, we not only need somebody that will pray for us, we need somebody that will plead for us. I have to be honest with you, sometimes I have too lightly said, I'll pray for you. There are, I'm undoubtedly, I, undoubtedly, there have been times that, that as it turned out, I probably lied because I forgot. I told somebody during the course of the day, I'll pray for you, and then I forgot and didn't pray. God, forgive me. But I want you to know that it's one thing to pray for somebody, but it's another thing to begin to plead for them. And that's what I, I, I think that, that whenever we, we come to God in prayer and we linger there in prayer, we tarry, as the old word used to, we tarry before the Lord in prayer, pleading on behalf of somebody else. Now that's what the Lord does for us. I know this because one of the things that the Bible does to describe Jesus, and in spite of the fact that we often have an ugly comment about people of this profession, but the Bible describes Jesus as a lawyer. You go, oh no, surely Jesus is not a lawyer. But he does plead very much our case like a lawyer might plead before the, before the bar. And as I've emphasized, and you've heard me say this a number of times, our Lord practices divine law in a very unique court. He takes our case, not through the lower courts, not through the appellate courts. He takes our case directly to the supreme judge of the universe. And he and our Savior is the only one in all the universe that has a license to practice law in God's court. And so far, my Lord has never lost a case. When he pleads our case, he wins our case. I don't know about you, but I need somebody who will plead my case. Some people say, well, I am the follower of Muhammad. Others say, I'm the follower of Buddha. Some, somehow or other, think that the, the last great prophet was some fellow named Joseph Smith. And so they are devotees to the writings of Joseph Smith. Muhammad and Joseph Smith and uh, Buddha, Confucius, whoever, you name them. As far as I know, you can go somewhere, probably. Now, I don't know if all of those men's graves are, are, have been located. But all those men died and were buried or were cremated or were disposed of in some way and they're still dead. 
And they're not pleading for anybody. Or if they are pleading for anybody, they're pleading for themselves. But my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was both God and man, and, and was sinless in his life and in his teachings and in his existence, is alive and sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's appealing on my behalf today. I need and you need Jesus for that very reason. Now that may not be a, a monograph that's delivered in San Francisco later this year at the Society for Biblical Literature, but it's the truth. We need Christ pleading on our behalf. Not only that, we need somebody that will perform for us. Because I'm going to tell you sometimes, uh, I'm just, I fall short. In Isaiah chapter 64 it says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there are some times that I am simply astray. And I need somebody who will perform for me. And, and I'm not advocating a what some people call an antinomian lifestyle where you can... Once you profess Christ, then you can just go out and live any way you want to because it's all in the bag for you. I'm not at all that. But I do know that if I have committed my life to Jesus Christ, if I walk in the light as He is in the light, that is, the Lord and I have fellowship one with another, and His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness, even sometimes whenever I am not exactly where I ought to be, having dotted the I's like I ought to dot them, cross the T's like I ought to dot or cross them. Some people in those kinds of uh, predicaments practice law, not grace. I took English composition under a man named Clarence Heron. And if you didn't dot your I's and cross your T's, he had very... Grace was not a word in Brother Heron's vocabulary. He would. I, I, I believe Brother Heron was born, grew up, and raised, and lived his life in the Old Testament. He knew law, not grace. Now nah, it's not. I'm being. I'm being way too harsh on it. That I got through Hillsdale is a testament that, or OBC that he is a man of grace. Uh, but 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 God's grace is sufficient. Well, let me go on. The last point I want to make this morning, and I'm going to let you out here real early. We need somebody who will prepare for us. I don't know about you, but I'm on a trip. Abraham heard the call of God one time. He's way off in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, typically archaeologists and biblical uh, geographers placed that somewhere in the area of the Persian Gulf. Some have suggested that it's now beneath the Gulf. But if you, if you go over there into, uh, into Iraq, there, there's a sign. My, one of my professors in seminary took a picture. He was over there. He was, uh, he was a practicing archaeologist 
uh, before he became a seminary professor, and uh, he took a picture of a scientist, Ur of the Chaldees. <laughs> I always thought that was, that was kind of an unusual sign. It's kind of like, you, by the way, y'all know where West Texas is? It's just down the highway down here. It's in East Texas or Central Texas. I thought West Texas would be in West Texas, but it's not. Anyway, there's Ur of the Chaldees over there. And one day, God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to get your family together, get all your livestock together, your household together, and I want you to go to a, a land that I'm going to promise to you, and if you'll do what I tell you to do, I'll make your, your progeny as the sand of the sea, the stars in the sky. And so Abraham followed, and he spent his whole life never bought a piece of ground except for the place where he buried his wife, the cave of Machpelah. Abraham would gather up his cattle and his sheep and he'd, and he'd go on down the road and he'd be riding around. Somebody'd say, where are, you, where are you going? I don't know. What are you looking for, Abraham? According to Hebrews, he said, the book of Hebrews, he said, I'm looking for a city. Abraham, he's going down the road. Where are, you, where are you going? I don't know. What are you looking for? I'm looking for a city that has foundations. Abraham, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Listen, folks, we're on a trip. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I need somebody to prepare for me. And the Lord is, that's why I need Jesus. He's doing that. He's preparing a place for me. In case you haven't heard... I spent some money and bought a, a simple fishing boat. And my wife... <laughs> I, brother, brother James came over to my house. He saw that sitting in the driveway. He came over and hugged me. He said, we're set now. <laughs> so my wife and I, we take our first adventure out onto the lake and I prepared the boat. She was prepared some other things. And we got out there. She hadn't prepared everything. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he's not going to forget anything. I don't know what that place is going to look like, but it's going to be perfect, and everything that we need will be there. That's why I need Jesus. I need somebody to prepare for me. And so I don't know about you, every once in a while I get a little bit long in the face and a little discouraged and I get my dauber in the dirt and, you know, oh, you know, why this and why that? But Jesus is preparing a place for me right now. And one of these days, he's going to call and I'm going to answer. And if I'm here, they'll probably lay my body in a, cheapest casket my wife can buy <laughs> and there's going to be an announcement in the paper and it's going to say Richard Terry died don't you believe it because I'm going to be more alive then than I've ever been 
and I'm going to be in a place that was prepared especially for me. And everything is going to be just right. Everything is going to be in its place. It's going to be just the way. And so Abraham was looking for that place whose builder and maker was God, and Jesus is that man who's making that place for us right now. I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to go. And if the Lord would come today, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. He's prepared. That's why we need Jesus. Now, this may have been kindergarten. This may have been the preschool of Christianity. But every once in a while, we need to be reminded of the simple truths that cause us to love God and embrace Him even more. Let's embrace the Lord and thank Him for the things that He has given us. And remember, you need Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning I thank you for these simple truths that uh, sometimes in the busyness and the cares of life we forget. We forget that we need somebody to plea for us, somebody to pray for us, somebody to prepare for us. We forget these things. Oh God, I thank you today that we have a Savior who is pleading for us, he's praying for us, he's preparing for us. We thank you for that today. Lord Jesus, help us to remember today, tomorrow, and the rest of the days of our lives, we need you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.